Ready? Backwards! Backwards. 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 Backwards.
But wait, there is more. Because we don't want you just to hear from us. We don't want you just to come along, sit there, listen, go home and forget. We want you to interact and hear from God yourself. And so, we have developed a reading plan for you. We want you to read the whole Gospel of Mark so that by the end of July you can say, I've read the whole Gospel, I've read all about Jesus' life. And so, do a quick hands up for me so Ashley or someone can print the copies. If you're a paper person and you like paper and you like ticking boxes, I'll put your hand up. But if you'd rather, you would rather have the link to the Google Doc which I've set up, then I can do that for you instead. So, paper. Okay, and what we're going to do is one of our Shodites, I think Charlotte is going to just pray for you, just in, in 10 seconds Charlotte, that's all I want you to do, is say, is just ask God to help us do that reading plan well, and each do it, okay? Go. Cool, okay, dear God, um, please, can you help us, not just start doing that, but actually commit to it, so we can, we can learn, we can know understand, not just read it, but like understand what you're saying, and yeah, we're going to have a conversation with that, that'd be pretty sweet. Amen. Amen. Awesome! Yes, right. <laughs> and also, just while we're on it, round of applause for Ethan for using the spiritual gift of interpretation of tongues. Round of applause. Even bigger round of applause to God for actually doing that among us. Isn't that amazing that God would do such a thing among us? He would make me say, say something loud like that and then Ethan to bring the interpretation. It's pretty incredible. Praise God for that. Now, finally, we want you to hear from God. We want you to enjoy coming along. But before we get to the first chapter of Mark, which I'm going to read you in full, I want you to get some brief definitions and I want you to understand that we're not going to have the full definition right now because we're going to go into these things in more depth and there's more in each of these than I could cover in a reasonable amount of time this evening. But I just want to define these things for you, sin, God, and holiness, before I read the first chapter of Mark 2. So let's start with God. I think that's the person you're probably most familiar with, having come to Impact numerous times, uh, pretty much all of you, and, uh, and maybe even been to church. And when we refer to God, we're talking about... Yahweh. We're talking about the God of the Bible. And Yahweh includes three persons. And so many people have written so many great books on it. I could give you some if you want to read more about God's character and Yahweh, like Incomparable by Andrew Wilson. Fantastic book on that. But Yahweh is three persons and one God. And there is something about him which we just aren't meant to get. Uh, I remember C.S. Lewis described it as us living in a 2D flatland, but God living in 3D. And if you're in 2D, you can't imagine 3D because it's beyond your dimension. And that's a bit like what it is when we talk about and think about this person of God. He's so amazing and so other than us uh, that we can't get our head around him. But that's who we're talking about when we say God. And you probably know the Father in heaven. You've probably heard of Jesus, the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit. They're three persons of the Trinity but one God. And they're all different persons, but they're completely one at the same time. So that's God. Shh, Calvin. The next one is sin. Now, sin could take, I could do a whole evening on just defining it and going into it in more depth. But sin is a way of describing a human condition, a human selfishness 
where we do think or say things that are considered to be wrong or offensive to God, or often both. And sin literally means to miss the target. And it's often used in relation to how we miss the target when loving God or loving people. And there's varying types of sin and severity, uh, as you might know, but they're all sin, all the same. And they often fall into two categories, sins of omission, where you omit, where you don't do something you should do, or sins of commission, or commission, where you do something you know you shouldn't have, or even when you do something you shouldn't have but you don't know it. And sometimes we do it and know it, and other times we do it but we don't realise it. And sin originates deep, deep, deep in our hearts, and it came about because of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden all that long time ago. And there is an excellent word study video Josie pointed uh, us leaders to. Um, I watched it today. To be honest, I don't think I can do a better job than them. I I think they've pretty much cracked it with this five-minute video. So if you type in the Bible project, sin, word study, it will explain all about it. It will give you the Hebrew and the the Greek language for it as well. Um, So if you want to check that out, go home and watch it. Uh, We might even watch it together at some point um, in the series. We'll see. The last definition is holiness. And uh, in brief, it means totally unique, completely different or set apart from And it relates to God, his holiness. And perhaps a good way to understand this, and again, there's a brilliant word study video on this. If you go on the Bible Project, Google it, find out. They describe uh, a helpful way of understanding it as imagining holiness to be like the sun. If you imagine the sun in the sky, it is enormous. It is powerful. It's the source of life. But the closer you get to it, the hotter and more intense the rays become. And very, very soon, if you get too close, you will be annihilated by it. And in a similar way, God, who we've been describing, is holy and he is so pure that we, who would be sinners and impure, cannot get close to him. And you can read all about it in the New Testament. They kept God in a box and they stayed out of our most holy of holies, a room where the box was kept. And they wouldn't go near him for fear that they would be annihilated by this absolutely pure, holy, set apart God. And once again, that holiness is something we're, we're meant to try and grasp, but we're not really meant to understand it fully because it's just so mind-boggling when we think about how holy and different to us God is and how uh, set apart he is. And so, as you may be aware, uh, sorry, as you may be able to tell, we are sinful, God is holy, and there's a pretty big gulf between us and him. And it's the reality of that that we want to try and help you understand But there's someone in the story who bridges the gap. God is so holy and we are sinful, but there's a man that comes, God incarnate himself in the form of Jesus, who stands in the gap between the both of us. And so we're going to get into learning about him. And I'm going to read you a whole chapter from the Gospel of Mark. I don't think I've read a whole chapter from a gospel at youth, uh, perhaps even ever. I don't know. But um, I'm going to look at it. So you need to turn to Mark. And I'm going to read the whole of chapter one for you uh, in a moment. And it's going to come up on the screen, uh, so I'll just stand out the way. So are you ready? Now, I just want to say to you, when you're reading the Bible, in the coming weeks, it's really, really helpful to involve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's a person, not an it. So you can say out loud, like I do sometimes at home before I read the Bible, Holy Spirit. Please help me understand this, that I'm going to read, your word. Help me understand what you are saying to me through it. Make things jump out at me. 
And even when I'm praying it, I might, oh, sorry, when I'm reading it, I might pray during, and then even afterwards I'll reflect again and go, what is in there that you want me to hear today? So, there you go, I've kind of prayed it out loud for you, that's what's going through my mind right now just before I read the Bible. So, chapter one of the book of Mark, let's get into this, and in a moment after I've read it to you, I will just tell you why he wrote it, who wrote it, etc., and the dates in case you're interested in that as well. So here we go. Gospel of Mark. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptising in the wilderness, and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptised by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Interesting diet. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie, I have baptised you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him, and they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region in Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city gathered at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. 
and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And when he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons, and a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is, the, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good. Um, so we, I'm going to explain to you a little bit more about who Mark is, because you've heard the first chapter of Mark now. That's the beginning of the story. And I just want you to know who wrote it and why. So Peter, a disciple of Jesus, narrated this story to a man called John Mark, and they wrote the gospel. And it's the shortest gospel. It works really well for you if you've never read the gospel before uh, to read it for yourself because it doesn't take as long as all the others. And it was written around 50, 60 AD, so about 50, 60 years after Jesus was born. And it has a purpose. And the ESV Study Bible, which is a great Bible if you need one and you want to study one, uh, gives it this uh, definition of the purpose. It says, Mark's gospel is to present and defend Jesus's universal call to discipleship. They say discipleship for Mark is fellowship with Jesus. And when they say that, it, mean, it says they mean that fellowship marks the heart of a disciple's life. And this fellowship includes trusting Jesus, confessing Jesus, taking note of his conduct, following his teaching and being shaped by a relationship to him. Discipleship also means being prepared to face the kind of rejection Jesus faced. And this is what we're all about here at Impact. We come and do worship and Bible teaching and prayer for each other. And we listen out for the Spirit and what He's saying, what He's doing. We respond using spiritual gifts because we are looking to be these disciples of Jesus, which is why I'm really excited to go through this gospel with you because it's the one that is defined in this way about defending the universal call to discipleship. And you get to be Jesus' disciples and there is nothing more exciting, uh, I can tell you from my experience, than following him. And I can tell you story after story about the things he's done in my life. In here, on the streets, in my household, I could tell you. But I could also tell you about people who've got upset with me about it as well. When I've explained my faith and they've actually rejected me because of Jesus too. And they come hand in hand, I'm afraid to say, but that's the reality. But the joy of reading Mark is that it's fast, it's like a comic strip that keeps bouncing along. You would have heard, uh, even when I read it, the amount of times it said suddenly and immediately and then. And things just keep happening and it's a really action-packed gospel to read. So that's what we're going to do. So hold on to your plan, stick it onto your fridge, your wardrobe, your mirror, tick it off each day. It'd be so great if you could bring it back uh, at the end of the term with all of the days ticked off. And uh, it's only five days a week you've got to read. That gives you two either side in the weekend. 
for you to go back and do anything you might have missed on the day and there's grace for that don't feel like you are absolutely locked into it and if you miss a day that's awful don't let the enemy get in with that lie god's grace covers you just keep on reading and keep on digging deep into jesus with all that said we've introduced the series we've introduced the book that we're going to read together now i'm just going to talk shortly for a small period of time, actually I need to get my watch out to make sure I know what time it is, a very short period of time about the baptism of Jesus. And uh, we read about it in Mark there. And uh, there's this guy, John, who is a pre-runner, forerunner to Jesus. And he comes before him and he starts baptizing people in the River Jordan. And I had a map, uh, but I don't know if it's there anymore. It might have disappeared of, uh, of the area they were talking about and where the Jordan is. But I'm a geography geek. We don't need it. We don't have time. And uh, this baptism that John is calling people out to do is in the wilderness. It's in nowhere land, basically. And people come out for this baptism of repentance, which means sort of changing your thinking, turning away from what you know is wrong for the forgiveness of sins. People are turning away from the things they know are wrong, the things that we mentioned in the definition, the sins, so they can receive forgiveness. And a symbol of that is going down to the water and coming out again. And they were going out to John because they knew they were sinful. They knew they'd done stuff wrong and they needed to repent and confess those sins and be baptised. And they were doing it to get right with God. Hopefully that phrase makes sense, to get right, to be clean, to be washed free of those sins. But then Jesus shows up in the midst of this baptism that's going on. But there's something different about Jesus, isn't there? Does anyone know what it is? What makes him different to everyone else who's gone out to be baptised? Gavin? Uh, John forced Jesus to baptise him. He did, that's one thing. What else makes him different? Yeah. Correct, yeah, correct, Lily. He doesn't have any sin, you're absolutely right. Jesus hasn't sinned, has he? He doesn't need to get right with God because God is his father and there is no sin obstructing his relationship with him, but he's there to get baptised. And I'm asking the question, why? And in Mark's Gospel, verses 9 to 11, they read like this. This is what happens when Jesus gets baptised. It says, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love, and you, with you I am well pleased. And this is a really great moment because the whole Trinity comes together for this baptism and this moment where Jesus comes out of the water. But Jesus doesn't have any sin. So why is he getting baptised? Why are all three of them involved when you think, well, that was a bit of a null moment, right? Because he doesn't need to do it. But he gets baptised and the whole Trinity is there. What an amazing moment. And that's another reference to the definition we had of God. God, the Trinity, the three in one. God is all there at Jesus' baptism. And John has made it clear to those that are repenting and being baptised that they are doing it in order to be ready for the coming Messiah. And then Jesus, the fulfilment of that prophecy we read at the start of Mark, comes along in that moment. And the people that are getting baptised are declaring, essentially, that their new identity, as they come out of the water, their clean self, is now not associated with their identity as a Jew, as someone of that ancient heritage uh, that has come through. And now, just to explain this, um, let me ask a quick question, and I'll... 
I'd be surprised and delighted if someone can answer this for me, but does anyone know the names of their great-great-great-great-grandparent? No, I don't know mine. Like I said, I would have been surprised and delighted, but I'm also glad that you don't know, because I don't know mine either. And the fact of the matter is... (laughs) Good guess. The fact of the matter is that Jews were big fans of a family tree. They loved to track their heritage, their lineage, all the way back. And they would track it all the way back to the very beginning to a man called Abraham, who you can read about in the Old Testament. And they loved that guy. They were reliant on him for their faith, their salvation. But then John comes along and blows that idea out of the water. Because John says to them in Matthew chapter 3, at the same event, because Matthew describes the same baptism that we read in Mark, He says, do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. And John is saying to these people who have come out from around to to get baptized, he's saying to them, you can't rely on your heritage or your lineage or your family's faith in order to be right with God. And the same is true for you and me today. If our parents are Christians, that doesn't make us Christians. Just like being born in a Christian country doesn't make you a Christian. Because if you were born in McDonald's, that wouldn't make you a hamburger. That's the reality. <laughs> that's the truth. It's a shame, if but it's a reality. Just think. I know, that's true. But ha- happy, meals, happy meals for life. I mean, it can't be bad, right? <laughs> but, but this is the fact of the matter. You don't inherit your parents' faith. You have to choose, you have to choose for yourself to repent of your sin, to turn away from it and put your faith in Jesus. So you have your own faith and you don't try and rely on the old one. And that's what John was saying. He's ushering in a new people who are cleansed and ready to be with the Messiah so they might bear fruit in keeping with that cleansing and repentance. And these people who are getting baptised, they're not like the Pharisees who depend on their ethnicity anymore or their religious pedigree by saying Abraham is our father. They're not like them. So you've kind of got two groups. You've got these Pharisees who are saying Abraham's our father and we rely on him. And then you've got these other people who are getting baptised with John who are saying, right, we're washed clean. We're ready for the Messiah when he comes. But then you've got Jesus. who's not like a Pharisee and he's not like a sinner because he's got no sin. And in Matthew's Gospel, again, we go to that just for a further explanation because you were right, Calvin. In Matthew's Gospel, it records John saying to Jesus, wait, 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 wait. I need to baptise you No, wait, you need to baptise me. That's not right. And Jesus answers him with one line because uh, it's important always to look at what Jesus says when we're looking for an answer. Jesus says to John, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfil all righteousness. The reason Jesus is getting baptised is because it's fitting. That's why he's doing it. He's fulfilling all all righteousness and that is fitting for the messiah to do evidently jesus saw his whole life as a fulfillment of all the prophecies from the old testament and a fulfillment of all the righteousness that would be necessary and the fact that he's participating in baptism a baptism of repentance even though he had no sins to repent of is in part in part of that that shows The righteousness he wanted to fulfill was not the righteousness he required, but the righteousness that every sinful person requires. Now Jesus shows us it's important to be 
fat tyres for doing this, and I'm going to have to cut a little bit out because we, we are running out of time here. But he knew that coming to planet Earth as God and joining with sinful humanity would mean that he would fulfil all the righteousness, and this is the important bit, so listen, Calvin. Okay. Jesus knew that coming to planet Earth and joining with sinful humanity would mean that he would fulfil all righteousness that would be required of men before the court of God above. So even though he didn't have to be baptised and repent of his sins, he joined fallen humanity, for whom he was providing righteousness by sharing in our baptism. And this is really important to get, because when you're relating to Jesus, when you're speaking to him, when you pray, you've got to remember that he's gone through everything that a human would go through. Mentally, emotionally, physically, he's been there. And he shared with you in it, and he had to, in order to fulfill the role of all righteousness, as it says in Isaiah 53. So I'm just going to ignore the last part of my talk and hand back to Ashley, because I know God wants to speak to you about this. I know that he either wants to speak to you, well, I know he wants to speak to you about anything, basically, but the main things I think he might want to bring you to focus in on are baptism. Have you committed to following him? Have you repented, turned away from your sin, and put your faith in him? Would you call yourself a follower of Jesus? Or maybe he just wants to talk to you about his holiness. Or maybe he wants to talk to you about how he wants you to live differently as a result of identifying with him. But I don't really know, to be quite honest. And I'm going to let him do the talking now because I've talked for far too long. Um, so, Ashley, back to you. We'll do whatever you...